Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report, a monthly look at events in the business aviation world. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. We link the aviation news of the day with the training needs of business aviation operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Hello, aviation professionals. Today, I'm going to start with the in the news segment of the podcast. So let's change gears right away and talk about micro-slop. ICAO says that strategic lateral offset procedures, or SLOP, reduces the vertical collision risk by 78%, and it's required in the North Atlantic FIRs Gander and Shanwick. SLOP is the offsetting to the right by one or two miles, or not at all. Micro-slop is offsetting to the right by increments of 0.1 of a mile between 0.1 and 2 nautical miles. This is a new procedure for Atlantic crossings as of August 7, 2019, but should only be employed if your FMS is micro-slop capable. In other words, you must be able to program offsets to 0.1. These changes can be found in the ICAO NAT document 007-2019-3 in section 8.5. Today, I'm going to review the NAT Systems Planning Group Sample Oceanic Checklist, which was released in 2017. There are many steps to ensure a successful oceanic flight. There are even more steps if something goes wrong. So having a plan or mental picture ahead of time is an advantage. Of course, we can't prepare for every occurrence, but we can have a mental picture of what we will do if something happens at virtually any time during the flight. I've talked about this in previous podcasts, and it's important to remember that NAT oceanic contingencies have changed. So if you fly through the North Atlantic, you may have different contingency procedures depending on where you are when the failure occurs. Of course, contingency procedures are always non-clearance procedures. So you have been unable to get a new clearance and you need to descend or deviate. I'll be going through the checklist and touching on points I think are important to highlight. By all means, send me your comments. The checklist starts with flight planning and specifically, Communication Navigation Surveillance, or CNS, flight planning codes. The only way ATC knows what areas of the NAT you are authorized to fly in is from your flight plan. Take a good look at items 10A and B and item 18 of the ICAO flight plan form, or talk to your flight planning provider. Ensure that the appropriate CNS and performance-based navigation codes are properly filed for RMP4 or RMP10, ADSC or B, CPDLC, etc. Each aircraft's MEL should be reviewed for system deferrals that may affect the CNS capabilities of the aircraft. Okay, oceanic documents, OFP, NOTAMs, weather, winds, the usual stuff, but have a good review of your extended diversion time operations or ETTO alternates, equal time point locations, oceanic entry points, etc. The track message also, if that's applicable to the flight, and even if it's not, I'll expand on that later. GPS NOTAMPS. That's just a few of the documents. Most of us probably use an EFB, but learning how to plot on paper is an invaluable skill and should be practiced once in a while. 
This is where international procedures training is a great idea. Many are in-person initial courses and then follow up with online recurrent training. Speak with your training provider. ICAO groups who review oceanic errors have determined that the routine use of a plotting orientation chart is an excellent aid to reduce lateral errors. Plotting the course can also serve as a critical aid in case of partial or total navigation failure. The ICAO group found that if you read from the OFP and compare it to the chart, that there is an expectation bias, and this has led to errors based on seeing what you expect to see. Therefore, go in the other direction and read from the chart and compare to the OFP. Plot your route clearance from coast out to coast in. Be sure to update this whenever your route clearance changes. Okay, equal time point, or ETP. ETPs should be computed for contingencies such as medical divert, engine loss, or rapid depressurization. Performance with a simultaneous engine loss and rapid depressurization should also be calculated. It is advisable to note the ETPs on the plotting or orientation chart. Crew members should review with each other the appropriate diversion airports when crossing ETPs. Pilot procedures should also include a manual method for computing ETPs. ICAO recommends that crews should not enter ETPs in the active route of the Long Range Navigation System, or LRNS, as this could create unwanted alerts on ground-based monitoring systems and could create confusion in the event of a revised route clearance. You can put ETPs in the fixed page or something similar so the ETP is visible on the navigation display. Okay, let's talk about Extended Twin Operations, or ETOPS. Analyze your ETOPS or extended diversion time operations by verifying the ETOPS alternates meet the appropriate minutes limitations, such as 120, 180, etc. Identify ETOPS entry and exit points. Also review airspace boundaries for specific contingency procedures for weather deviations and in-flight contingencies, as well as consider plans if any on-route diversion is required. Know where you plan to go at any point along the route. Okay, track message. It's a good idea to have a current track message even if you are filed for a random route or filed above North Atlantic high-level airspace. Plotting adjacent tracks and or crossing tracks whilst on a random route can help situational awareness in case you need to execute a contingency procedure. Review the date, effective Zulu time, and track message identifier, or TMI, ensures having a current track message. Also be aware that the daily track message can change, so have an operational procedure to receive the new message. For weather analysis, look at en-route temperature and turbulence forecasts, as well as diversion, emergency airport weather, volcanic activity, magnetic storms, solar flares, which may affect the route of flight. Verifying the accuracy of the long-range navigation system is an important step once airborne, so the checklist recommends reviewing possible navigation aids for an accuracy check prior to coast out. This planning may help to identify navigation aids that are limited or no TAM unusable and is helpful when departing from airports close to oceanic airspace. Okay, we are now in the cockpit. It is a requirement to have a master clock on board synchronized to UTC or GPS. This time source, which is typically the flight management system, must be used for all ETAs and ATAs. The use of multiple time sources on the aircraft has led to inconsistencies in reporting times to ATC and resulted in a loss of longitudinal separation. Check the journey log or aircraft logbook before entering a special area of operation such as the NAT. Crews should focus on any write-ups that affect communication, navigation, surveillance, 
ETOPS, or RVSM requirements. Any discrepancies noted in the maintenance log or during the walkaround may require a new plan. Speaking of RVSM, required equipment includes two primary independent altimetry sources, one altitude alert system, and one automatic altitude control system. In most cases, a functioning transponder can be linked to the primary altimetry source is also required. Crews should note any issues that can affect accurate altimetry. Altimeter checks before taxi. Crews should set their altimeters to the airport Q&H. Both primary altimeters must agree within plus or minus 75 feet of field elevation. The two primary altimeters must also agree within the limits noted in the aircraft operating manual. Okay, flight plan. The document designated as the master document should be carefully checked for date, type aircraft, fuel load, and performance requirements. Cross checks should also be done for routing and forecast ground speeds. The master document should be carefully checked against the filed flight plan to ensure the routing is in agreement with both documents. The en route time should be compared against the total distance for a reasonable ground speed. The en route time should also be compared against the total distance for a reasonable fuel load. Speaking of fuel, where I work, we check the operation of the cross-feed valve and verify the circuit breaker has not popped after checking that the valve operates correctly. With regards to communications, an HF check should be conducted on the primary and secondary HF radios in areas where dual HF radios are required. If possible, the HF checks should be done on the ground or before entering oceanic airspace. Make sure no one is near the HF antenna and listen for the ticking clock sound on 5,000, 10,000, etc. You might be able to get your HF assignment on the ground at this point of the pre-flight on the applicable VHF frequency. A cell cal check should also be accomplished at each oceanic control area boundary, even if you are data link equipped. Ensure a SATCOM pre-flight is complete to comply with FANS or CPDLC requirements. Both pilots should independently verify the present position coordinates using either published ramp coordinates or determined position from the airport diagram. One pilot can read the known coordinates to the other, who verifies the FMC as the same. A master source, such as an en route chart, should also be used to confirm accuracy of coordinates at the oceanic boundaries. This leads into airborne procedures a bit, but operators are encouraged to use consistent symbols on the master document. For example, a circled number means the second crew member has independently verified the coordinates entered or cross-checked by the first crew member. A check mark may indicate that the track and distance have been confirmed. A diagonal line may indicate that the crew has confirmed the coordinates of the approaching and next waypoint. An X symbol may indicate having flown overhead the waypoint. We use one slash for waypoint passage and a second slash once the position report has been completed. This results in an X over the waypoint. I also start a clock for a 10-minute time reminder to plot the route 10 minutes after waypoint passage to verify we are on the correct track. Some programming notes. Check the currency of the database. Crew should note if the database is projected to expire during the trip. MELs may allow relief to fly with an expired database, but require the crews to manually cross-check all data. The software version of the database should also be confirmed in case there has been a change. Independently verify waypoint entries. It is critical that one crew member enters waypoint coordinates and that these are independently checked by another crew member. It should be noted that the pilot should read from the FMS back to the master document when verifying data. 
reading from the master document to the FMS has led to errors based on seeing what we expect to see or expectation bias that I mentioned before. Both the pilot loading and the pilot verifying the waypoint coordinates should use an independent means, such as checking the course and distance between waypoints against the master document to verify the accuracy of the route loading. Check expanded coordinates of waypoints. Most FMSs allow entering abbreviated oceanic coordinates. There have been cases when there was an error in the expanded waypoint coordinate, but crews only checked the abbreviated coordinate. Verifying only the abbreviated coordinate could lead to a lateral error. In a reduced separation environment such as the North Atlantic, it's imperative that crews check the expanded coordinates of all oceanic waypoints. Flight crews should conduct a magnetic course and distance check between waypoints to further verify waypoint coordinates. Okay, check course and distance in the oceanic segment. The NAT SPG recommends that crews conduct a magnetic course and distance check from oceanic entry to oceanic exit. Operators should establish a tolerance such as plus or minus 2 degrees and plus or minus 2 nautical miles. The course and distance check comparing the master document against the LRNS are critical in detecting errors that may not have been noticed by simply checking coordinates. A difference of more than 2 degrees between waypoints may be due to a difference in the magnetic variation in the database versus the variation used in the master document. Any difference outside of plus or minus 2 degrees or plus or minus 2 nautical miles should be rechecked and verified. Okay, uploading winds. LRNS units generally allow the crew to upload projected winds. This procedure allows more accurate reporting of ETAs. Some aircraft upload winds once airborne or enter them manually. Ground speed check. The ground speed check should be noted before taxiing the aircraft. This was a new one for me. The bulletin says... Crews should expect the ground speed to read zero knots. The bulletin says that this procedure is a good practice to detect an error that may be developing in the LRNS. This is a two-part topic, so we'll talk about the rest of the flight from taxi phase onward next time. Thanks for listening. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our website at trainingport.net. Click on podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals, and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net, leader in online business aviation training. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day. And thank you for listening to the Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.